We are actually in the last chapter. Tonight we'll be looking at the first three verses. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, have you heard of the city of Philadelphia? Do you know what that name means? Two, we are called to love one another. Who showed us the best example of how that is done? Three, when a new kid comes to church, what can you do to make them feel welcome? Four, you may not know any Christians that are in prison or suffering persecution, but what can you do to help them? Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, this is the word of God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. There ends a reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord our God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful truths about you that we receive in your word, the wonderful theology, the doctrine, all those glorious things. We also thank you for the practical exhortations that teach us what it is to live our lives for you. And so, Lord, as we examine this passage together tonight, Lord, we ask that we would see more clearly what you would have us do and how to do what you've called us to do well with your grace and your guidance, according to your word. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us, and now we ask that you would continue to speak to us through the preaching of your word. So send your Holy Spirit in a special way, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We've come a long way in this letter to the Hebrews and what the author calls a brief, a brief letter. We've covered a lot of territory from the beginning up until this point. At this closing chapter, there's something of a dramatic shift, a dramatic turn to some real practical application, real practical application, reminding believers that there is a moral code to be followed if you are a follower of Christ. Tonight's emphasis is on love. It's on love. Now, if you look at the passage, you'll notice that there's a stretching here, right? So first we're called to exercise brotherly love, something that hopefully comes at least somewhat naturally to us by the grace of God working in us. And then we're stretched a little bit more to show hospitality to strangers. And then we're stretched even a little further to to reach out as best we can and relate to, have empathy with those who are suffering, most likely for the name of Jesus Christ. We're being stretched here. Now, I do want to say we're not being stretched as much as Jesus stretches us back in the Sermon on the Mount. There we're called to not only love our neighbor, or not only love those who love us, but we're called to love our enemies and pray for them. So we're stretched even further there. So tonight, you can relax a little. We're not going to be stretched that far tonight. You can't really relax, but uh, we're being challenged here to be stretched in our ability to love, in our ability to love others. 
the author may be concerned that some of the people in the church of the Hebrews are beginning to neglect some of the aspects of love that are so important, abandoning some of those various angles of love that are supposed to be exercised by all Christians. And he's, in a sense, saying, let's take some baby steps. Let's look at where we are in our love for those around us and take baby steps if we've started to move backwards. Sometimes we need simple reminders, some pretty basic stuff. We need to be reminded of what love is, and that love is a central part of what Christians are all about. First of all, love towards God, and then love towards neighbor, and with a special love for the body of Christ. This is so critical in order to drive home how how serious a matter this is. I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. beginning in verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Notice that's the context, this whole idea of devotion and holiness towards God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John could not be more clear about how vital, how important, how essential, and how revealing love among among God's people is. Now, we might have wanted to stop between verses, between the middle of verse 24 and say so we just need to love christ we need to love jesus we just need to believe in jesus but that's not where it ends we're to love one another just as he commanded us love is very serious well the author of hebrews is driving that home and the first thing he says is love with a brotherly love let it continue 
If you've started to slack off in your love for one another, that's how it would read, let your love for one another, your brotherly love, continue. Don't give up. Keep pushing at love. A literal pronunciation of the Greek word combination, Adelphos and Philo, would be Philadelphia. Very familiar to us. Not only a city in Asia, minor, but also a city in our own country, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia but it simply means brotherly love. And that issue of brotherly love is a good practice in general, isn't it? It's what we want want our country to be about. We want brotherly love. We want that that kind of kindness to one another, that embrace of fellow human beings. I think a lot about what took place in our country in the 60s and the 70s and how distorted so many aspects of love became. But I will say this, A good segment of what was being pushed in the 60s and 70s was a good kind of love. That Philadelphia, that love for one another, so that there wasn't all this strife and fighting in our country. And so, in a general sense, this idea of Philadelphia is something that should be, and we want to see, practiced among all people. But, for God's people, it's especially to be practiced amongst fellow believers among fellow believers. Jesus himself said a new commandment, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you want more elaboration on that, we can jump to John chapter 15 fairly quickly. I think it's always good to see what Jesus had to say about things, obviously. Beginning of verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in the name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Jesus could not be more clear. And so again, this whole idea of brotherly love is driven home again and again. So we want to ask ourselves how this is being worked out right in our context. How is this idea of loving one another working right here at Covenant Church? Is it evident, is it so evident at Covenant Church that we love one another that someone observing us and our behavior looks at us and says, they're different. They must be disciples of Jesus. 
They must be disciples of Jesus. How do we do with neighboring Christians who maybe don't believe exactly the same way that we do? Are we loving towards them? Do we love people from other churches, those Christians we run into in other places? How does our brotherly love look? Well, Paul puts it so succinctly, love one another with brotherly affection. Try this one, outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine if we all tried to outdo one another in showing each other honor. What a great competition that would be. By the grace of God, it would be a wonderful thing. The second thing that that Paul, or I'm sorry, that the author stresses is love for strangers. Love for strangers. Who are you to love? You're to love everyone that you come across. Love for strangers. Now, don't be foolish, children. You're told not to talk to strangers, and that's a good rule. Now, if another kid comes into church, talk to them, because that's a good way to show them that you care about them, that you're showing them hospitality, you're showing them love. Uh, Teenagers, you need to be very careful with who you interact with as far as strangers go. There are really bad people out there, but adults as well. There are some real creepers. We're not to be foolish. Hear story after story of someone who sets themselves up in a very foolish way to be taken advantage of or hurt very seriously because they interact with strangers. But what's being stressed here is that by and large, God's people are to be hospitable to everyone they come across. Now back in that day, it was a very practical thing where you'd have foot travelers who needed a place to stay and some food to eat. And so they would open up their homes if they were showing hospitality. But the author here says, do not neglect, it could be read, stop neglecting, stop neglecting hospitality towards strangers. Don't become afraid of entertaining strangers. Don't be so isolated in and of yourselves and to yourselves and and so concerned about your self-preservation that you don't reach out to anyone. Now, it's not as familiar as Philadelphia, but the literal pronunciation of the combination of words here would be philoxenia. Now, would be a great meaning for a city, welcome strangers, but I don't know of any city. Maybe there's one out there called philoxenia. It'd be kind of difficult to say, where are you from? Philoxenia. Welcome to philoxenia. But the meaning of the word is very important here. So with Philadelphia, brother, brotherly Delphia, love, Philo. Here, Philoxenia, love for strangers. This word could very well be translated love for strangers. And when you think of loving strangers, you don't just think of howdying somebody, but embracing them. Now, most translations use the word hospitality. Show hospitality to strangers. Show, show enter, or entertain strangers. And we might think of hospitality not in quite such a deep way as is the meaning here. We have people in our homes, I trust. We embrace other people. But are we doing so on a deeper level? Those things are sort of subcategories when we have people in. 
Uh, we, wa we want to make sure we're not just entertaining them. So hospitality is a little closer to what's being talked about here. But are we engaging people and getting to know them and understanding them and showing concern for them? That's really what is going on here. And so it's safe to say that xenophobia, fear of strangers, is not a Christian attribute. It is not a godly virtue, fear of strangers. So whatever strangers we come across, we're to show them we're to show them hospitality. We're to embrace them, so to speak. Again, it's a good practice. Generally, I, I believe that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is when the question is asked, who's my neighbor? You have all these examples of people who don't show mercy to this injured person, but it's the Samaritan who ends up being the good neighbor to that person that he didn't apparently know, that he wouldn't have had regular interaction with. But this idea of love for strangers is absolutely required for saints. It was a commandment in the Old Testament, and we read uh, the commandment to love from Jesus here. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we, are we even taking those baby steps? Or when we meet people, are we showing real interest in them? When we're out and about, are we even talking to people? I'm convinced that one of the things a lot of us face is we're simply so into our own world and our own lives, we can stand right next to someone and never say a word to them. Just think of the opportunities we are missing from, from just not engaging with people that we come across in our everyday life. How are we doing here at Covenant? When strangers come here, how are they received? And again, children, don't be afraid to go up to a little other child that comes in here and talk to them. Teenagers, same thing, embrace them. But as a whole, as a congregation, if anybody, if the Lord blesses us, and we ought to consider it always a blessing when the Lord sends somebody through our doors, greet them. Greet them. Try to outdo each other in showing them honor and receive them. And talk to them and, and see if you can get them plugged in to the ministry. I think there may be people who have been here for some time that some of us haven't even met yet. But we want to be hospitable. Good practice in general, important practice in the church. Now, there's this part here that says, in doing so, uh, you may actually entertain angels unawares. It actually says that some have actually done that. Your mind immediately runs to Abraham. And the three angel beings that came to him, one turns out to be a, a pre-incarnate Christ himself, but Abraham literally entertained angels. He showed them hospitality. There are many other cases in scripture as well. I think the author here is saying it's, it's like that. You don't know who you're entertaining. You don't know. Now, if we're to think that there's going to be a physical manifestation of an angel like happened back then, we might be stretching it a bit. Although, if you read some stories about some miraculous missionary endeavors, you might be surprised uh, that the spirit world is not as detached from this physical world as we might think it is. I have some of my own strange, inexplicable, head-scratching stories that may or may not have come close to those kinds of things. But whatever the case is, we know that there's a whole spirit realm. We were just told earlier in Hebrews that we've come, we've come to Mount Zion. And, and Part of what we experience is we're in the presence of angels. And 
if nothing else, angels are witnessing what we're doing. And it wouldn't be beyond our imagination to think that an angel, spirit realm that I don't understand, could be directing someone right into our path. And we have an opportunity to minister to that person. It's along the lines of what Jesus says in Matthew 25. And so that's a good segue into our next section. Turn with me to Matthew 25. Beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, when he will sit on his glorious throne, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we minister to one another, we're indirectly, but if we read this, it's almost like it's directly ministering to Jesus. When we minister to others, the same thing is true. And here the author says, remember, don't forget. Don't forget those who are in prison and those who are suffering. Don't forget them. Don't get so caught up in your own world and your own concerns that you forget your brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and suffering. Now, again, there's a wonderful general rule here. Prison ministry to unbelievers is a great opportunity. Ministering to those who are suffering from poverty and disease is a great thing when done in the name of Christ. And we don't necessarily do that only to believers. But certainly the emphasis here is that, especially for Christians, brothers and sisters, that are incarcerated because of their faith in Christ. Some who are impoverished because of their faith in Christ. Others simply living in arid areas of poverty and disease who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to have empathy with them. We need to be with them. Did you notice the word, the words that he used? Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. How closely connected are we with our brothers and sisters who are suffering right now for faith in Christ? 
They might be far away, but, but how much in solidarity are we with them? I suppose from a distance, all we can really do is pray, but with heartfelt prayers from empathy, as far as we can be empathetic to maybe support ministries who care for them, but, but in some sense would be to, con to be connected with those brothers and sisters who are imprisoned and suffering. We're all one body. It doesn't matter how far away they are. We bring it closer to home, and I suppose we can experience it more directly right here, not so much the imprisonment part, but the suffering part. Paul writes, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do we enter into one another's struggles, one another's burdens, one another's suffering? I know personally how that feels from this body of Christ. But I hope I'm not alone. I hope that anyone in this church feels the love and sympathy from the other people in this same body, and especially if they're suffering, that they're being ministered to. So the Christian life is a life driven by love for God and for neighbor, and for the body of Christ especially. Jonathan Edwards put it simply, he said, all true grace in the heart is summed up in charity or love. I often recommend books that are difficult to read. I'll say, you want to get depressed, read this book. You want to get whatever, read this book. You want to get convicted about the issue of love, read Jonathan Edwards, um, read Jonathan Edwards' book on charity and its fruits. It's a wonderful set of writings, deeply convicting but deeply encouraging when it comes to the issue of love. So all true grace in the heart, do you have grace in your heart, is summed up in charity or love. We need grace to love. It's not how we are by nature. We need grace especially to be stretched in our love. Maybe one of Paul's hard sayings isn't, so theological or complicated doctrinally as others. Maybe, maybe the most difficult one doesn't have to do with understanding, but it has to do with practice. Here's what he says. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. That has to happen right here in this Christian community. We have to be driven by our love for God and our love for one another and our love for our neighbors. May God grant us the grace as a church and as individuals that we would be known for that love, that we would be known for our love for God, that we'd be known by our love for one another, that the world would say truly they're Christ's disciples that we would be known for our love for those who are still lost and without Christ. May love be so evident among us, so regular, that anyone observing us, any individuals, 
would look at the body of Christ at Covenant and say, surely they are followers of Jesus Christ. Surely they're disciples of Christ. May God grant us that grace. Let's pray. Lord, we can hardly fathom your love for us. And our best efforts in responding to you with the kind of love that we wish we would respond with is surely inadequate. But we know that you loved us with a deep and profound love, showing us most pointedly your love by sending Christ, Christ showing us love by giving his life up for us. That love being burned into our hearts by the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we have been struck by your love. And again and again, you tell us in scripture that in response to your love for us and as evidence of our love for you, we will love one another. Lord, may your love abound in this church among the brothers and sisters here. May you teach us what it truly is to exercise brotherly love, to truly love strangers that we come across in our lives, and to have deep sympathy and care for those who are suffering for your namesake. Lord, we want to know your love. We want to see your love exercised in our lives as individuals and as a church, how we need your grace for that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. With the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen.